Now notice, to do what? To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness and seal up the vision and prophecy, and here's the most important, and to anoint what? The most holy. Know therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, now notice, the prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. But not, now, now notice that statement again. After threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. Now that's the important phrase. But not for himself and for the people of the prince shall come and destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end of it shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war desolations are determined. Now, have your sheet in front of you. This whole prophecy has to do with the nation Israel. Notice, if you will, the ninth chapter of Daniel and the 24th verse. Seventy weeks are determined. What's the rest of it? <clears throat> what? Upon thy people. Now, this has to do with the nation Israel, not the Gentiles. has to do with the nation Israel. And when you read of these 70 weeks, it's that which is determined upon the nation Israel. Now, the book of Daniel is a great prophecy. I'm going to do this one of these days with you. I'm going to study Daniel in connection with Revelation. You'd be surprised how they go together like bread and butter. Walk hand in hand. Now, Daniel says here, there are... Seventy weeks, and that means 49 years, determined upon the people of Israel, Daniel's people, 490 years. All right, now let's look at the basic facts of this prophecy. Number one, the angel Gabriel came to inform Daniel that 70 weeks, that means years, or 490 years, are determined for Israel. Now, when does a 490 years start? from the command to rebuild Jerusalem, and how long is it to be, to the anointing of the Messiah's king. Now, that's verse 24. 490 years are yet future when Daniel gets this prophecy. The command has not gone forth as yet, but it will very shortly. The command to rebuild Jerusalem. And it will be 490 years from that command until the time that Jesus Christ is anointed king in Jerusalem. So the Jews would know the exact time. You see, the Bible's a marvelous book. Its prophecy is very exacting. All right, number two. The 70 weeks, the 490 years, were to be divided into seven plus 62 plus one. Now that's in verses 25 to 27. Now, seven is 49 years. That's one brace. Then 62 times seven is 483 years. And together, together that makes 483 years. And then seven more makes 490. So seven plus 62 gives you 483 years, and it only leaves seven years left, the seven years of the tribulation. 
Now, number three, there were to be seven weeks, 49 years, from the command to rebuild Jerusalem until its completion. Then number four, these seven weeks were to be followed by 62 more weeks, or 434 years, until the prince, the Messiah. Now, number five is the important point. Messiah would then be cut off, and the 70th week, or seven years, the tribulation would follow. Now, let's just stop right there. The 490 years are not to be consecutive. Because after 483 years, there was to be a break. Not according to what it says here, but according to God's program that we now understand. After 483 years with seven years left, Messiah is to be cut off. Now, the general interpretation is that this is when Jesus Christ went into Jerusalem, or what is known as the triumphal entry. But that can't be. Others say, no, it's when Jesus Christ was crucified. The cutting off speaks of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, but that couldn't be. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ would not be enough. He has to die, be buried, and resurrect from the dead and ascend into heaven because according to Luke 19, there can be no kingdom until Jesus Christ has gone to heaven and returned. Can be no kingdom. Now, the cutting off, I believe, well, look at your little diagram there at the bottom, entire plan outline. You have from A to B, seven weeks. That's the command to rebuild Jerusalem till it's completed. Then from B to C, you have 62 weeks or 434 years. Then D, which is in the last section, is in the wrong place. If you just got a new chart tonight, take D out, cross it out, and put it at the end of one week, seven years. For that's D, that's Messiah, anointed as king. Now, you'll notice a break between C and the beginning of the one week, the seven years, which is the tribulation. Now, we're in that break. Now, the important point is this. When did that break take place? Did it take place when Jesus Christ went in, triumphal entry, into Jerusalem, and the people wanted to make him king? Of course not. Was it when he was crucified? No. When was it? It was the moment that God blinded Israel and set Israel aside. The moment Israel was blinded and set aside and God raised up a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus, changed his name to Paul, gave him a brand new message and sent him out to the Gentile world. Then we have that space between there. In Romans 11.25, it's known as the mystery of the blinding of Israel. You see, there could be no church, the body of Christ, until Israel was blinded. I had a couple drive a long way last Saturday night. Came to see me about 7 o'clock. They had made a date with me weeks ahead. And they said, now, the husband said, I don't understand your doctrine. I've been here a few times visiting. I heard that you don't believe that the church started on the day of Pentecost. And I said, of course it couldn't. Well, he said, I'd like to know why. 
All right? So we spent a little over three hours in the Word of God. I praise God for young people who are interested in the Bible. The church, the body of Christ, could not have started at Pentecost because the Jew was not blinded. They were still using the temple. Daily they went into the temple. And you read over and over again that Peter said, Ye men of Israel, hearken unto me. Not ye Gentiles. Ye men of Israel. It wasn't until the Jew was blinded, and that started in Acts 13, with the sending forth of Paul by the Holy Spirit. And then this break here, see over to one week, seven years, is right now. Now there's something else we want you to see at this point. The book of Daniel is really a book of prophecy. Well, turn with me to Daniel, the second chapter. Let's see another prophecy in Daniel that will help us understand even more. All right, turn with me to Daniel, the second chapter, and the 31st verse. Daniel 2, 31. Let's see something else. Daniel 2, 31. All right, you have it in front of you? This is when Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He couldn't remember the dream. He wanted the dream to be brought back to him. It troubled him, and he wanted to know the interpretation. He had all his soothsayers, his magicians. They couldn't tell him a thing, but Daniel could, God's man. Now notice what it said in Daniel 2.31 with that background. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. Have that in your mind, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form of it was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold. Now, is that this picture? It has a head of gold. Its breast and its arms of silver. Its belly and its thighs of bronze or brass. Its legs of iron, its feet part of, part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest until a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon its feet that were of iron and clay and broke them to pieces. Now, Let's look at this image. Here's an image. Its head is of fine gold. Its chest and its arms of silver. Belly and its thighs of brass. Its legs of iron, its feet of part iron and part clay. Now, what's this all about? It's very easy to know what it is. Daniel gives the interpretation. I'm not going to take time to go over it again. But the head of gold, he tells us very clearly, it's Babylon. Starts with Nebuchadnezzar. Then we go to the silver chest and arms and it's Medo-Persia. Then we go to brass, which is Greece. Go to the legs of iron, which is Rome. Then we go to the feet of part iron and part clay and that's yet future. Hasn't taken place. Will be during the last seven weeks. The 70th week of Daniel. Now, What's this image all about? Now, let's get this clearly in our mind. God says 490 years or 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. But something's happened. What's happened? Why, the Jew has been blinded politically. Isn't this amazing? The nation who was to have this kingdom 
have this king anointed as their king. Well, they weren't even their own land. They were under the rulership of Nebuchadnezzar. He had come in and demolished, destroyed Jerusalem. Carried most of the people captive, and Daniel was one of them. Then the Jews were standing around and saying, well, what happened? What has happened to God's promises to us? Where are God's promises? We're under the heel of the Gentile. And we are to be a blessing to the Gentile. And instead of being a blessing, they're under the heel of the Gentile. Now, God is telling them something. It is true he has taken away the political rulership of Israel. When Zedekiah was blinded, his sons killed, and they were carried off to Babylon, that ended for 490 years their rulership or governing of themselves. No longer are they now to govern themselves. They are to be for 490 years plus this age right now, the mystery age, to be under the heel, the rulership, the government of the Gentiles. Now, don't be fooled by a lot of the prophetic nonsense that's going around today. That Israel is now back in the land, and this means so much. Nonsense. Nonsense. Wonderful they're there. But we'll talk more about that from Hosea if I get time tonight, if not next week. But Israel's not there the way the prophetic teachers are telling us today? Not at all. Now, God is saying, you have to recognize for 490 years, you are going to be under the control of the Gentiles. And remember when Jesus Christ was upon earth, this is what bothered the Jews more than anything else. They hated the yoke of the Gentiles. They would have followed anyone who would have thrown off the yoke of the Gentiles and made them free. But no one appeared. Not even Jesus Christ. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. Now what's he doing? He's saying, all right, for 490 years, Gentile rule is going to be over you. First, it's going to be the head of gold. Babylon. Then it's going to be silver, Medo-Persia. Then it's going to be brass, Greece. Then it's going to be iron. It's going to be Rome. And then there'll be ten toes, two feet, ten toes of iron and clay. Now, what's he saying? Did you notice progression? Did you ever notice that? Gold was the most precious metal known in Bible times. And here Nebuchadnezzar comes in and captures the people, carries them off into captivity out of their land, devastates their land. But yet he had a pretty good government. It was of gold. But this was overthrown. Along came Medo-Persia. And this is silver. Now silver is harder than gold, but not as precious as gold. Then you go to brass, and brass isn't nearly as precious as silver. Nowhere near as gold. Then you come down to iron, and iron doesn't compare with brass. 
or silver or gold. What do we have? Then you have iron and clay and they just don't mix. What's it all about? God is telling Israel, you're going to be controlled for 490 years by the Gentiles and the Gentile government is going to decay right before your eyes. It's going to disintegrate. Each government gets weaker than the one before. Not as strong, not as good. Gold is better than silver. Silver is better than brass. Brass is better than iron. Iron is better than iron and clay. Now, do you ever wonder why in our day there's not a stable government upon the face of the earth? And I think you'll admit our government's anything but stable today. This is understandable. This is understandable. It doesn't amaze me at all when I study my Bible. The nations have been in revolt. Why do you realize all the governments of the world are in a turmoil? Even Russia. Each government gets weaker, more permissive, And we have it right in front of our eyes. Now, will you listen a second? Israel made a great mistake. What did they ask God to do? Go back to 1 Samuel 8 for a second. 1 Samuel 8. 1 Samuel, the 8th chapter. Let me start reading from the 4th verse. 1 Samuel 8, 4. 1 Samuel 8, 4. 1 Samuel 8, 4. All right, let me read it for you. Then all the elders of Israel, Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now notice. Now make us a king to judge us. What are the last four words? What are they saying for me? Like all the nations. Now Israel's not numbered among the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me that I should not what? Reign over them. Now what's God doing? In Daniel 2, he's saying, Israel... You have not proved faithful. I'm going to put you under the Gentile reign, Gentile government. But every Gentile government is corrupt and it's going to fade away. You just study history, even the history of our day. One after another, the nations have fallen, never really to rise again to their peak. Doesn't that frighten you about our country? They're all in a turmoil. Human government is absolutely impossible to succeed. This is what God is saying. Human government cannot succeed. Human institutions cannot succeed. They're all going to decay. And the longer they go, the worse they get. But here's the Jew. And the Jew says to Samuel, we want a king. We want to be ruled like the Gentiles around us. 
God said, Samuel, don't you be displeased. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. I wanted to be their ruler, and they don't want me. And the first king God gave them was what? A complete disaster. What was his name? Saul. Saul. All right. God is saying, human government can never work. The day will come when I will anoint my king, my Messiah king in Jerusalem, and then he'll rule with a rod of iron. And then government will work. You see, we've tried all sorts of government. You take Nebuchadnezzar. He was a totalitarian ruler. Medo-Persia was not quite as strong a totalitarian government. Then along came Greece, and Greece was a democracy. And if there's ever been a disaster in the history of man, it's democracy. There's nothing worse than a democracy, and we're not a democracy. I know Cronkite and Severide and Brinkley and all the rest would like to tell us that we are a democracy, but we're not. England's more of a democracy than we are. We're a republic. And I believe it has been the best government we've ever had in the 490 years plus our present day, but even it has so many faults. Why? We've become permissive. We've left the judicial rulers. And the judges are not to make laws, but to interpret laws. And instead today, our judges, especially the Supreme Court, they're making laws. That's foreign to our Constitution. But we let them get away with it. We let them get away with it because we're crumbling from within. We've become a permissive society. We're worried about the homosexual. We're worried about the thief and the murderer. We let them run wild and we say we can't really be mean to them. We have to rehabilitate them. And that's nonsense doesn't work. But God is showing human government is absolutely a failure. And Israel is learning she needs the Messiah. Now go back to Daniel 2 again and let's see one other thing here in Daniel 2. Daniel the second chapter. And notice, if you will, the 34th verse, Daniel 2, 34. All right, listen to what I'm going to read for you. Thou sawest until a stone was cut without hands, which smote the image upon its feet, not its head, not its breast, not its thighs, not its legs, upon its feet that were of iron and clay and broke them to pieces. Now, what's it talking about? Talking about Jesus Christ, who is the rock, that great stone. His virgin birth, a rock made without hands. And he's going to destroy the Gentile ruling of this world. And he's going to do it as the second coming, for the second coming will be a time of judgment. The rapture is a time of joy, of catching us up, but the second coming is a time of judgment when God will judge the Gentile nations. All right. Now let me show you why. Why Israel back in the land is not what the average 
prophetic teacher tells you it is. Go with me to Hosea. That's the next book after Daniel, isn't it? It's Hosea, Daniel, Hosea, and go with me to the third chapter, if you will. Hosea 3 and verses 4 and 5. And I want you to see something here. Hosea 3 verses 4 and 5. For the children of Israel shall abide or remain many days. What are the next three words? Without a king, without a prince. Is that the condition they're in today? Are they? Do they have a king or a prince? No, they don't. All right. And the children of Israel shall abide or remain remain many days without a king and without a prince. And without a what? What's it mean when they're without a sacrifice? It means they're without a priesthood. They don't have any priest. All right. Without a priest. Without an image. What's that mean? It means they're not idolatrous. If there's one thing the Jew is not, he's not idolatrous. Ever since he was carried away into Babylon, he learned his lesson, and the Jew has never again been idolatrous. He's not idolatrous. And without an ephod, and without teraphim. Could spend time on that, but I don't have the time. All right, the fifth verse. Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord, Jehovah, their God. And here's an amazing statement. And what? David, their king, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Now, this fourth verse is exactly what's happening to the Jew today. Even though he has a government, you say, of course he's got a government. Yes, he does. But what kind of government does he have? It's a pretty poor excuse. That government wouldn't last five minutes if the United States wouldn't be back in there. If the Gentiles in the United States were not standing behind the Jew, the Jew would fall. Why do you think the Arabs putting such a pressure upon us with the oil against the Jew? Because he knows as long as we stand back of Israel, that government will stand in the day we withdraw our support. It'll come crashing down. Doesn't have a king. Doesn't have a prince. Doesn't have a, a priesthood, a sacrifice. It doesn't have a temple. The Jew is misplaced right now. She's going to be driven out. If not before, it'll be in the tribulation by the Antichrist into the red rose city of Pekka. But now that fifth verse tells us point D on our chart. One week, seven years, and the anointing of the Messiah's king. Now notice that fifth verse. It's beautiful. Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek thee, Jehovah, their Lord, their God, and David, their king. Now, what's that mean, David, their king? Well, may I show you something? Turn with me to Matthew 3.11. Will you do that? Matthew 3.11. You know what David means? What's David mean? You tell me. What's Daniel, uh, David mean? You don't know what David means, do you? What? Beloved, exactly. The word David means beloved. Come with me to Matthew 3, 17, rather. That would be better. Well, we better read 16 and 17. Matthew 3, 16 and 17. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And though the heavens were open unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my what? You know what that word actually could be translated? 
This is my David's son. You could absolutely translate it that way. This is, well, really it is, thou art my David's son in whom I am well pleased. You see, David is to have a kingdom. He's to have a throne. And David was what? A man. What? After God's own heart. He was God's beloved. Wicked man, but his beloved. God, David said, Blessed is man whose sins, whose transgressions are covered. Tone for Romans, the fourth chapter. But here we have it brought out. Thou art mine, David, son, my beloved son. You see, David's going to reign in Jesus Christ. Now, there are those Bible teachers who tell you that Jesus Christ is not going to rule during the millennium. It's going to be David. No, it's going to be Jesus Christ, who is God's David, beloved, during the millennium. This is the anointing of king. Now, go back again to Hosea, if you will, that third chapter, and let me show you just the last phrase. Hosea 3 and the 5th verse again. Something very, very beautiful. Hosea 3, 5. Afterwards, all the children of Israel return. After this awful period, that's a point D, Messiah anointed the king. Afterwards, all the children of Israel return and seek the Lord, the Jehovah, their God, and beloved David, their king, that's Jesus Christ, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness. You know what goodness is in the Hebrew here? It's his gracious one. Gracious one. And his gracious one in the latter days. Now let me ask you, who is his gracious one? You know Ephesians 1.6? Just turn to it quickly, Ephesians 1.6, all right? See, if you'd only take time to study these words, you'd learn so much about your Bibles. And it'd be so thrilling to your heart. Rather than always just reading the uh, Gospels and getting stories of healings and whatnot. Or at Ephesians 1, 6. Listen to it. Ephesians, the first chapter, the sixth verse. To the praise of the glory of his grace, through which he hath made us. What's the next word? And accepted is the word grace. Where? in the beloved, in David, which he hath made us graced in the beloved one. The beloved one is the gracious one. He has superbounding grace, according to Romans 5.20, for us. Now, what's going to happen? 490 years plus the time, 2,000 years at least here of this day and age. Israel has been under the foot of Gentile political dominion. And since the Messiah has been cut off and Israel has rejected Jesus Christ in resurrection, the nation has been blinded and God has raised up the church, the body of Christ, through the preaching of Pauline gospel and truth. Israel's been blinded spiritually. But all of this will be healed when the Messiah comes the second time, that great stone cut without hand that's going to come upon the feet of the image of part iron and part clay and dash it to pieces till there won't even be any dust left. 
No dust. Every bit of it will be gone. Iron and clay. I believe that is democracy and socialism today. The whole world is turning one way or the other. We're turning from a republic to a democracy. Many of the nations of the world are trying to be a democracy, but yet they're all being eroded by socialism. And there's nothing more despicable than a socialistic government. Socialism is just plain robbery. You steal from what they call the rich to give to the poor. You have a redistribution of money. And that's nothing more than stealing. Government stealing. Lyndon Johnson got into the White House by saying we're going to soak the rich. But the sad part was he got richer and we got poorer with his socialism. Beloved, President Carter is right now talking about the oil companies. And don't believe him for a second. He's a millionaire. You know how much profit he makes a year? Sad. But socialism, the clay that will not mix with iron, is destroying the governments of this world. And the only answer is Jesus Christ to come back and literally destroy all of them till there's not even a bit of dust left of them and Jesus Christ will be the totalitarian ruler who will rule with a rod of iron. We're living right now in that little break between sea and one week, seven years. It's called the mystery in the Bible. The mystery of the church, the body of Christ. A joint body made of Jew and Gentile with neither one having preference. It's not a kingdom, but it's one new man. God is making a man according to Ephesians 2.15. Christ is the head of that man and we're members of that body. And right now, God says our job is to be ambassadors, to plead with men and women. We're in an alien world. We're in a, an enemy's country. He's declared war on us, but we haven't declared war on him. But when Jesus Christ raptures us away, he'll declare war upon this world. The removing of ambassadors is a declaration of war. And God is ready to declare war upon the nations of this world. And while we're here, he's at peace with the world, but the world is not at peace with him because this is the age of what? Grace. All grace. And how the Gentiles and Jews who live today should be so thankful for this period. But beloved... I want to show you a few more things here, Lord willing, next week. Let us bow our hearts in a word of prayer. Our God and our Father, we thank Thee once again for Christ Jesus. We thank Thee, Father, for all that He means to us, that He gave Himself a living ransom for us. Now, Father, we just pray that You'll guide and direct all who are here tonight. May we look at prophecy with a clear eye, knowing that there are no signs for this age knowing that this is a signless age. 
knowing that this is the age of thy grace, but knowing that we're looking for that blessed hope, that glorious appearing of our great God, even our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, while we're here, we're to be busy being ambassadors, pleading with men and women, be ye reconciled to God. And Father, we pray now that you'll be with us as we go to our homes, be with the choir, with Don, with the musicians. May we all be prepared for the Lord's day. And we'll thank thee for this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.